right. Well, come on back, and uh, if you need a Bible, put up your hand, and Jared's going to get you a Bible. If you need a Bible, put your hand up, and uh, we'll get you that. If not, you're all equipped, then come on in and uh, uh, open up your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that's where we're going. And we're uh, in a book now, uh, the book of Corinthians, where uh, even I can figure this out. Uh, the church is set in Corinth. <laughs> and Paul is not writing, by the way, to give you some you know, systematic theology, five-point or 25-point outline. He's actually responding to concerns that the church in Corinth have that have arisen since he's left. He's writing from Rome, which is in Italy, and he's writing a letter over to Corinth that's in Greece. He spent 18 years there, 18 years, 18 months there, sorry, 18 months there, and now they're writing a letter or some people are coming to see him uh, get the tape, and I explained that all that in a couple, couple weeks ago, but he's responding to concerns that the Corinthian church has. And one of the first concerns that the church has is that they are um, dividing. They're getting into these immature squabbles. Sounds like America, right? It's like the American church. It's like this book should be, you know, Pennsylvania or United States of America instead of Corinthians. I mean, this is it. And Paul is saying and, and bringing to them, uh, first of all, one of the things that they're committing an error is that they're depending on the philosophies of the world to run a church. And what's very fascinating about that is the enemy of our souls can dig in there and encourage it so that we can equate things like great big buildings with lots of people having fun times as being a church that's healthy. When in reality, Paul says and gives us today and through the last couple chapters, the marks of a healthy church. And the marks of a healthy church look unlike sometimes the model that we set. Like things like, you know, um, putting off the self-life and serving and laying your life down for friends and loving people in brotherly kindness that we're called to do in real ways and tangible ways and to build the church on a cornerstone, a foundational stone. And that foundational stone is Jesus himself. You say, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I know all Christian churches do that. Well, not really. You have movements of a church that's focused on how cool the pastor is and how hip the music can be. And we, you have churches that are, if truth be told, are focused more on their facilities than they are on glorifying Jesus. You have churches that glob on to maybe one or two special types of doctrines, not special, but, you know, a, a doctrine. They, we're going to focus on marriage here, and we're going to, you know, and, and we're going to have all these outreaches on marriage. Is there anything wrong with an outreach on marriage? No, but, you know, just glob on to some doctrine or some element of the Bible and then make, and, and make a lot of noise and a lot of show about it and bring people in for those reasons. We're going to have a marketing strategy where we don't talk about sin too much in the main sanctuary so that people will keep coming. I mean, come on, folks. This is church in America. 
This is what we do. There was one church I saw had a service about sexual relations between a husband and a wife, and they actually had the pastor, the, the curtain come up, and the pastor was laying in, the, in a bed with his feet under the covers, like poked out like it was supposed What? Are you kidding me? How far afield have we come? Well, these are some of the questions that the Corinthians are asking. Remember, Corinth is on that little isthmus. I can't even say the word too much. Look it up in the dictionary. (laughs) It's a land strip between northern Greece and southern Greece, this little island. It's not an island because it has a land bridge, but it has this isthmus, and it was the center point of sort of a, a, a trade and commerce route. In fact, I've told you this all three times. They would actually bring, instead of going all around the Cape over to Italy, they would actually bring the ship right up to Corinth, put it on these rollers, and roll it four miles across the isthmus and put it over there. So you had all kinds of, you know, uh, sailors and, 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 and things, and a lot of vices, bad vices were happening in the town. It was sort of a cosmopolitan, you know, trade center where all the beauty happened and the fashion happened, but also a lot of rough, evil things and salacious things happened. And I told you, they had a, uh, you know, Greek gods, of course, but they had the goddess of love temple that was right up, looking right down over that isthmus in which a thousand prostitutes would come out of the temple every night and ply their trades in the city. And that was a way to worship the the love goddess, of course. So you had all this happening. It's all coming to a collision. And against that backdrop, isn't it interesting, the Lord sets up a little church. And instead of the church impacting the culture, apparently the culture has been impacting the church, you see. And so Paul writes this letter in response. And we have now come to chapter 3. And in my excitement to tell you the preamble here, I didn't turn there. But he says this in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, and I pray that this is a blessing to you today. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal As to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Uh, And even now you're still not able, for you're still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, remember, Paul's writing this. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ." Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on, it endures, uh, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. 
For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Now, what we've been talking about here, or what Paul's been telling us is, first of all, that there's things that you've been counting on that aren't good things. In fact, they look good to the world, but really, uh, to the Christian, they're set up and they're diametrically opposed. It's the wisdom of the world. See, if you're trying to live life by the wisdom of the world, you might get smart in the worldly stuff, but you'll never grow wise according to the Spirit, according to the life of Christ that, that He's given you. If you're counting on postmodernism, secularism, uh, uh, the uh, hollow theories of how to heal people and to lead them and to bring them into success and worldliness. Well, you could be the richest man or woman on earth with the biggest estates and the best budget for hobbies and entertainment you want and all of that power and be called a fool according to the Bible. And yet, if you're foolish in the eyes of the world... According to Christ and his commandments or his life, oh, you, you're so wise, nothing can touch it. And what do you say? Or what do you mean? What do you, what do you mean uh, the wisdom of Christ or the wisdom of the cross, as Paul puts it here in chapter 2 and chapter 1? Well, the wisdom of the cross, think about it. What God calls the Christian or the man or woman, actually he calls non-Christians, to do in order to get into the family of God is to understand something about yourself. And that is you have a real problem, a problem you could never fix by yourself, a problem that none of the world's philosophies will ever deal with. And that's this, is that you have sinned and you don't measure up to God's glory or standard and you fall short of the glory of God. That's the gospel. You first must come to grips with the fact that you're a sinner. Most of us in America say things like this. Well, you know, I mean, come on, I've gone to the right schools. I'm polite. I have a nice job. I live in the suburbs or wherever I live. And, you know, I've not really done bad things like a Stalin or, you know, serial killer. I mean, we say things like this. We say, well, you know, I'm better than most or not as bad as some. That's what we say, and yet the Bible says something very different. The Bible says if you've sinned in one little part, if you've sinned, you've fallen short of the glory of God, and you and I and we have a problem, and that's this. We can't get to God. All man's philosophies are a striving to go that way. But we could never get to God because we're not righteous or holy as God is. No, we sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible tells us. But then Jesus Christ entered into the world, and he took upon the cross your sins and my sins and our sins. He took upon the cross our sins. Our sins were imputed, uh, put on him at the cross. And God delivered his wrath, which he had to have done to be a just God upon Jesus. And for all who call upon his name, listen to this, you shall be saved. That's what Romans 10 says. If you confess, if if it's just a continually confessing the Lord and it's pouring out of your heart and life, if you confess Jesus as the Lord, you will, shall be saved. Saved from what? Eternal separation from God. You'll be with God forever. Enjoying God. Finding out about who Christ is. And by the way, we just studied in Ephesians 2 this morning. For all of glory, God will be shown. Listen to this. For all of glory, in Ephesians it tells us, God will be showing us how kind God is by pointing you to his son, Jesus Christ. That's what you'll be doing. You'll be in the presence of God. You'll be healthy and whole and put together 
in the way in which God always intended you to be. You see. And that's the gospel. And that's the gospel. And Paul says throughout the first couple chapters here, if you're counting on the wisdom of man, you're going to look great in the eyes of man, look, and you might even be succeeding, but if you count on the words of the cross that you must take up your cross daily and submit to that gospel that I just said to you, well, the people of the world are going to look across at you and go, are you nuts? They're going to say you're fools. You mean, you know, and now, now your whole life, as the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life as a Spirit-filled Christian, your whole life now is to submit your will to the Father and to glorify Him. Your life is not your own anymore. See, to the world, that's total foolishness, but the Bible tells us that that's righteousness and peace. If you want to have and be what you were intended to be, well, you'll lay your life down for Christ. If you want to just gain and earn and then come to the end and go, is that all there is? Well, that's what it'll be. It'll be, that's all there is. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about how people would pray or give money and they would do it, you know, so people could see you do it. You, you know that feeling like, man, I hope they think I'm pious and cool and, and you know, and, 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 you know, just really a great giver. And, and Jesus said, if that's the way they want to do it, that will be their only reward on earth. But for the Christian who lays down his life now, your rewards are in heaven for eternity. But to the world, it seems foolish. And Paul talked about that at length. In fact, it says in verse 15 of chapter 2, But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. You know what that's really saying in a kind of a roundabout way? The world looks at the Christian man or woman and goes, I just don't understand them. And that's the point. Jesus did everything upside down from what the world would expect. Well, see here, Paul opens up and he's dealing with a problem. And he's dealing with people in a church who are trying to use the wisdom of the world to build the people in the church and the church itself. And that is then showing up in a carnal, fleshly, or fleshy lifestyle. And they start picking favorites. Oh my gosh, Apollos is preaching this weekend at Corinth. Let's go. Oh, Paul's speaking, or Peter's speaking this weekend? Nah, we'll take the week off. I'm devoted to Peter. I'm devoted to Paul. I'm devoted to Paulos. And there started to be these factions, these divisions in the church, dividing and dividing and dividing, like over should you dunk or should you sprinkle someone? Or should you just do, um, what's it when you sing with no um, Acapello, or should we do just acapello? Or, my goodness, there's a guitar up there. Oh my, there's a drum. Ooh, ooh. Should we only sing psalms? Should we do new songs? Should we do hymns? And people fight about this stuff, folks. Well, anyway, that's what he's dealing with here. And if you read and look, you can find and take from it the marks of a spiritual person and the marks of a carnal person. So what do I mean? Listen to this. In chapter 2, verse 14, I think it's 14, yes, Paul talks about this man who's called a natural man. A natural man or woman is somebody who's not given their life to Jesus Christ. If you say in your heart, I don't know, really. I don't know. I've never really heard the gospel. I don't know if I'm going to heaven. See, the Christian knows they're going to heaven, and it's not because of us. We're sinners saved by grace. It's because of what he's accomplished, and we go, yes, we are going to heaven, but it's because of him. So we're not the natural man. A natural man or woman is somebody who's outside of Christ. There might be natural men or women in here today. I understand that. But let me show you the other thing. There's a spiritual person, and all the spiritual person is, is look over in verse 
16 of chapter 3. All the spiritual person is, is this. They've surrendered their whole life to the gospel of Jesus Christ and said, Jesus, come into my life. You're the captain of my life. I'm counting on you at the finished work of the cross and resurrection for both the payment of my sins and for the new life that you give me. And watch this. All a Christian is, is a person that knows that they are the temple of God now and that the Spirit of God dwells in them. What is the Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And in another place in the Bible, it actually says that the Holy Spirit comes into a life and it's a down payment guaranteeing your entrance into heaven. He is the down payment. He's in your life. He's the deposit. So there's a natural man and then there's a spiritual man who has the Spirit of God. But Paul here in chapter 2 talks about a third type of person, a carnal man or woman. What is a carnal man or woman? Well, let me take you back to the story of the Old Testament. I think it's a picture of carnality and defeat and no victory. Here, anybody here in their Christian life ever get frustrated with themselves? I raised my hand. I should do it twice. <laughs> And you know, you want to do the right thing, and you don't do the right thing, and this happens and that happens, and you know, you might yell at somebody you shouldn't yell at, or you know, a kid, or whatever, you know. Or, or you didn't treat somebody at work the way Christ would treat them at work, and you're just like, man, come on. And, or, or maybe you're just frustrated because you're not seeing victory in your life, in a sense, and you're, you're like, what's happening? Well, see, I believe the Old Testament gives you a broad picture of the difference between a carnal man, a natural man, and a spirit-filled man or woman. Here it comes. Do you remember the Israelites had to go down into Egypt? And Egypt, they were what? They were slaves. And, you know, they got involved with the Pharaoh who was making them work at a certain uh, 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 pace, and then they spoke out against him, and he said, well, up the pace, and a new one came, and up the pace. And, and they were in bondage over in Israel, or Egypt, and they couldn't get out. It took over 400 years to get them out of the bondage in Egypt. But eventually, you know the story because you watch those, you know, the Pixar movie or whatever it is. Um, what is it called? Prince of Egypt. No, I'm kidding. You read your Bibles, and you saw that the Lord, through Moses let's the or the israelites go out of egypt and where do they what do they encounter first they encounter the red sea and they get up to the red sea you think about it and they're like yes okay they're walking they come up over the hill and they're like oh wow there's a sea in front of us okay let's turn around and there's the army coming after them and they're thinking to themselves what in the world are we going to do and you remember the story, the Red Sea parts, and they walk through, and the army comes through, and boom, it collapses. And then they move on into the what? The wilderness. Where are they headed? To the promised land. Canaan. But what happens is, along the way, they become terrible complainers. Ooh, that's convicting. And they become people who don't trust and depend upon the Lord. And something that should have just taken months or so took 40 years to get out of the wilderness to get into the promised land. You get in it? See, I think that's the picture of us as a natural man. We're in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We're sin. The Bible says the natural man is a sinner or a natural woman, a sinner. You're a sinner because you have a sin nature, but also because you sin. You have a sin nature, but also because you sin. And when the, when the Lord delivers you out of that, you say, I'm going to count on the finished work of Jesus Christ. What do you do? You walk out of sin. And what does the Bible tell you? It tells you to close the world behind you. Red Sea. And now you have given your life to Christ, you've said, I'll be a follower of you, Christ, but I believe the wilderness is the picture of the carnal man, the one who's frustrated 
never has any victory, always tempted and falls. I didn't say occasionally. I'm saying the trajectory, you know, just, it just continues not to progress in the Christian life when God has given you the promises and said, enter into the promised land, and yet you don't. See, I think Corinthians is telling you how to live in the promised land. By the way, folks, who led the Israelites into the promised land in the Old Testament? Who, what was his name? Yeah, good. You guys are good. I thought I'd get you on that. No, Moses didn't. Joshua led them into the promised land. And I want you to see something. You know all the ites that were living in the promised land? Well, most of them were cleared out, but not all of them. God told each tribe of the family of God to go into the promised land, but you're still going to have to fight. But you got to enter in on my promises, and that's the spiritual man. See, here's what we do. We stay in the wilderness, and we're carnal. What's carnality? What's a carnal Christian? It's a one who lives according to the flesh. It's a person who says, Lord, oh yes, I've read the gospel, I've heard the gospel, and I'm surrendering my life to Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to progress. Maybe they say it determined so, or I don't know, probably not, but maybe they just don't know, or maybe, uh, 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 you know, when they get up to the promised land, maybe they get scared, or maybe they don't want to be in the conflict. That's the carnal Christian. By the way, some people disagree with this. They say that the carnal Christian isn't a Christian at all. But I would suggest you look right in the first verse. Paul is writing to brothers and sisters in the Lord. And he says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people. He's saying, probably not as smart alecky as I would say it. He's saying, listen, I want to talk to you as spiritual people, but you're living in the wilderness. You're living like a carnal, fleshly Christian. What does a fleshly person do? They live according to and for themselves. One of the things uh, that God says is going to happen when you become a Christian is that the self-life is going to be gone. You're going to put off the old self-life and put on Jesus Christ. And yet, these folks apparently were finding it difficult. See, we have millions of Christians living like this. Wouldn't you agree? In a carnal way. So he says, listen, I'm speaking to you. I can't speak to you as spiritual people, but as the carnal. You're living according to the flesh. That's the first thing. The divisions you're having in the church, folks, is because you're living according to a flesh and not a spiritual way. You get it? Everybody good with that? All right, let me show you one other thing. You all know this. Boy, I'm going to have a hard time getting through this today. But (laughs) look at this in Galatians 5. And all of you know it, but I want to take you to it. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul, the same writer, says this, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Did you hear it again? Flesh. Carnal. Christians can walk just like a natural man by living according to the flesh and not living according to the Spirit. How do you do living according to the Spirit? Well, when the Spirit of God comes into your life, you yield everything to God and you lay your will down. You say, whatever you say, Lord, that's what I'll do. But see, we don't do it that way. We say we love the assurance of salvation But to move on in holiness and to enter into the promised land, eh, I don't know. I like my vices too much. Or I like myself too much. Well, he says, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Listen to this. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, capital S, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you don't do the things that you wish. Doesn't that, come on, folks. 
You ever said to yourself here on Sunday, man, yeah, I know, he's up there talking about loving your neighbor and that guy in my carol next door. I mean, I know he bugs me, but this week I'm going to love him like Christ. And then you show up and he's chewing the Lay's potato chips like you hate and he's leaving his mess everywhere and he's coughing and you just can't stand it anymore and you just, boom, you blow, blow him right off the map. And then you go in the bathroom and you go, oh my goodness, that wasn't very Christ-like. No, okay, I'm the only person that's done that. Of course, you don't do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh, watch this. How can you know you're either a natural man or woman, unregenerate, not born again, or if you have surrendered your life to Christ, you're not living according to, well, uh, according to the Spirit, well, you, you partake of these things, adultery. You say, well, I don't know. I never really did that. Well, you're looking at pornography? Okay. Fornication, having sex outside of church. Oh, I know I can do this. That's not really sex. That's just hooking up. That's just hooking up. In fact, here's what I'll do is on Friday night, we can hook up. Sunday, I'll go into church and pray for forgiveness. Paul says that's sheer stupidity. That's what Paul says. No one would trample the grace of God like that. And yet, a Christians, we do it. Do you understand in the church, our sexual ethic is set by the Bible, and yet hardly any of us adhere to it? This is serious stuff. He gives us a great desire for sex. Yes, it's a great desire, but it should be manifested in a marriage between a husband who's a man and a wife who's a woman. And that's what the Bible says. Uncleanness, lewdness, telling the dirty jokes, having idolatry, that busts us all. Sorcery, which is a word called pharmakia in the Greek, which is this dark, evil thing that's associated with drugs. Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, that one destroys me. Dissensions, heresies, envy, Murders, which includes hating people, Jesus said. Drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you, that those who practice, practice, the trajectory of their life is that they want to do those things. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're natural men and women. But you know, it can impact us in a carnal way too, the carnal Christian. But here, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You and I, I hate keys. I hate the books that say seven keys to blah, 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 blah. Sorry, I hate him. But if there is a key to the Christian life in victory, it's walking according to the flesh. He just said it. You want a victorious Christian life, you lay it all down. Mind, your will, your emotions, everything. And you say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yielding to your spirit. Whatever you have me do. When he says, forgive, forgive. When he says, stick with people for a long time, don't blow them off and cut them off. That stupid stuff we put on Facebook about making our circle smaller. Oh my gosh, it's the least Christian thing I ever heard in my life. And Christians put it up there. The Bible says we're to bear along with people. And here it's walking according to the Spirit. What is really... Uh, uh, you know, cutting your circle down while it's making you feel better. Well, I understand. There has to be boundaries, of course, but you get the point. Now, come back to Corinthians. I just told you the difference between a natural person, a carnal person, and a spiritual person, and I want all of us to be spiritual, walking according to the Spirit, starting with me first, who needs it the most, or him the most. But he says something. He says, I fed you, you're babes in Christ when you're carnal. You're just babies. I don't think he says it like I just said it, but you're just babies. You're young. We are blessed to have a new grandson. You know babies in all your places. You were, a, you were one once. What do babies want? Look at this. They want somebody else to feed them. You catching that? If you're a babe in Christ, you're, you're having other people feed you. 
You getting the point? As you grow and mature, you're not dependent upon the pastor, although the pastor should do his good work and study and bring to you what the Lord has brought him to bring to you and help you and guide with you, but you're not dependent on me for whether you're spiritually healthy or not. Of course, I want to help. You see it? When you grow, you forget you feed yourself. People come along, they help you, etc. Everybody okay with that? What's another thing that babies are like? I don't know if you've noticed this, but they don't care what time of night they get up and scream. They also don't care if you're in a church service or a Walmart or somewhere else. They're going to scream and tell you they want something now. And you better get it to, to them or they're going to keep screaming. You understand? They're full of the self-interest. That's what an immature Christian is. Oh my, do I have ways to go. They're full of self-interest. Are you seeing this? They're babies in Christ. He says, I fed you with milk, of course, and not with solid food. Milk is good. In fact, you are to be a person who begins to feed yourself. The Bible says in different places, 1 Peter and here, that the Word of God is milk. We need milk. Right? When we first get born and, you know, when you get up into my age, I think they tell us to lay off, but whatever. Bread, the Word of God's called bread. The Word of God's called meat. We're going to read it here in a minute. And the Word of God's called honey and sweet stuff. You know this. It's to be taken in. In fact, to some of the prophets, they said, God said, take this and just eat the, the, the papyrus here. It was a picture of what we're to do with the Word of God. We're to take it in. Are you getting it? Now, what is the difference between milk and meat? Because both are in the Bible. Well, turn or in the Bible as the Word of God. Turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Go there. And... Uh, Look in verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 5. Everybody there? Good. For though by the time, this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. There's nothing, look, look folks, there's nothing wrong with receiving the elementary things of the Word of God. Nothing wrong at all. But what would you think if I was 30 years old, living in my parents' basement, and asking them to come down and bring me food and change my clothes? What would you think? I know what you'd think. You'd go, my goodness, what a slob. <laughs> at least I might say that. <laughs> Wouldn't you? You'd think something is up. Well, Paul's giving you a picture here. He isn't calling people slobs, nor is the Lord, but he's saying that we're to advance in the things of God. Yes, you are to have the elementary principles. We teach a class. We just did it. Foundations of the faith. Learn the foundations, principles of God. Learn those. But remember, you need to know them, not having to come back to them all the time. I've had to come back to them 14 times, so I'm not the good model. But at some point, we need to progress and live, in, live them out in the world and then move on in this Christian life. More Christ-like, right? You don't want to be a 30-year-old video game basement guy with mom and dad bringing you, you know, carts of food and give, throwing your laundry down and, and your allowance, do you? No, of course you don't. You want to move on in the Lord and do things. And here he says, you need someone to teach you again first principles of the oracles, God, because you've come to need milk, or you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk, watch this, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. I don't think he's being as harsh as I am, but what he's saying is, 
You and I and we, as uh, ones who study the scriptures to find Jesus Christ in them, must advance in the things of righteousness. And he's saying, you can't just be stuck there all the time, for that person's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use, did you catch that? They just don't learn the stuff here. Catch that. There's a lot of people in the world that can quote the Bible chapter and verse, but when they go down the steps and actually encounter a human being, it all just falls apart. Or if they encounter a circumstance, it all just falls apart. Here he's saying, but solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that is, those who by reason of use, you put it into practice out in the world. You've trusted the Lord, not just in the sanctuary, but in the workplace, in the circumstance, in the bad relationship. In all those places, you've trusted God. Have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now keep going on. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. That means maturity. Let us go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. In other words, you're growing in the grace of God and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgments, And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and to put him to open shame. Well, here's what I want you to see. That there is a growing in the word of God. One of the marks of a Christian that is maturing, is their diet. (laughs) You see, for about 40 years, I could basically eat what I wanted to. And then two things happened simultaneously. Actually, I had them a little bit before that. I had kids, and I got old. (laughs) And I knew that I couldn't continue to eat like that. My diet needed to change in order for me to mature, (laughs) or I was going to be dead. So what he's saying is sort of the same thing. You can look at a person's diet and tell if they're mature or not. What are they taking in? What is it that's the thing that they cherish and relish? It's the Word of God that is being fed to them, not just the elementary principles, although those are good, get those down, but that advance in the use of them out in the world so that you can discern what is good and what is evil, and you can make sense of things. And so you're not just dependent all the time, although I'm happy to help, on somebody spoon-feeding you everything, like a baby, you're starting to feed yourself. You catching it? That's what was happening in Corinth. He says, no, 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 no. You're like little babies. For where there's envy, strife, and divisions, going back to 1 Corinthians 3, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions, you can always tell there's a lot of envy in your life personally or in the church. You ever been in a church that had a whole bunch of divisions? That hurts, man. Well, basically we have some immaturity going on. You're carnal. There are envy, strife, divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? That means the natural man. Aren't you just behaving like the world behaves? For when one says, I'm of Paul, and another of Apollos, aren't you carnal? Now watch this. Watch this. For those who love certain teachers or pastors or whatever won't show up to church when, you know, Tim's preaching or whatever... Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed? We're just instruments, man. Just laying down our lives for the sheep. We're nothing. We're nobodies. We're not greater than you. We're not different than you. We, you, you can have me come to the hospital, but the other guy who can come to the hospital that's spirit-filled can pray the same prayer. I don't have magic prayers. 
These are just people. Paul writes, I planted the seed. Apollos watered the seed. But folks, don't you know that God gave the increase? It's up to God. You can have the worst sermon in the world. Maybe you've heard it before. That's a joke. But you can have the worst sermon in the world, but the Word of God hits somebody and gets planted in the heart and can grow to fruition in bringing somebody from a natural man to a spiritual man. And look, Jesus said he would do that. See, it doesn't depend upon the instrument so much. There is a part that you have to play. And the Bible says that there's four kinds of soil. We throw seed onto some soil, and it never takes root. Some, you know, takes root with some joy, but withers away. Some gets choked out. But then there's this fourth soil that's cultivated and good for the implantation of the word, right? So it's not, look, look, it's not so much how much is given out. It's the way in which it's received that's important. How could you like Apollos or Paul or Peter when we're all just instruments giving out? And it's really, I always say this, prepare your hearts to receive what God would have for you. He gives the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. Now, verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. But by the way, remember what I always tell you happens at a pastor's conference? It's, it's unbelievable. It's coming, man. I'm driving to the pastor conference knowing it's going to happen. I'm going to sit down at lunch. Somebody's going to ask me what church I pastor, and then here comes the question. It happens every single time. Well, how many people are in your church? And some guys are just asking. I know there's no nefarious or, you know, bad intent, but some guys are asking because what are they doing? They're comparing. And here, listen, Paul's saying, don't compare. We're all just a little instrument in the machine God has set up to bring people to glory. So who cares if their youth group is thriving? That's wonderful. Pray for them, and your youth group is 10. you got 700 people at the VBS and 70 here. Oh, you could be in the toilet if you thought like that. Yes, but you got 70. You only have five people at prayer today. Yes, but there were five people at prayer today. That's awesome. We're just, there's no competition amongst people in Christ. We're God's fellow workers. Watch this. This is something that's important. You, we as a body here locally and as the church, look at this. You're a field. What happens in a field? First of all, what happens in a field? What does the farmer do now they have these big machines before they had a, like, you know, Michael Landon on Little House on the Prairie had a, when he first moved, you know, he was like wearing himself out and he I just watched it the other day, and he took a horse and this hand plow, or that plow behind it, and they plowed up the dirt, didn't they, in the field, which created unbelievable chaos. You know, you're looking at a pretty nice field, but then it, gets to be, it has to be dug up. Now, think about that. Did I tell you I can't fix anything? You know one of the reasons I hate fixing anything? First of all, because I can't do it. But second of all, because I know when I break it down, so to speak, it's going to look terrible. And then there's never any hope of getting it back up in my house. But just yesterday, we bought a new microwave, and it got delivered. And Xander had to come over. Praise the Lord for Xander. And he installed, you know, he did the bolts and the brackets and all that sort of thing, and he takes it off the wall, and then, you know, he has to get the range out of there. And the micro, so, so then I'm looking in there, and it just, it's awful looking. And I get a pit in my stomach. You know why? I get a pit in my stomach because I know he's there, but if, it, if he left, it's going to look like that for 20 years. <laughs> but, you know, he eventually 
gets the brackets up, and I actually help him put it in there, and he screws it down, and everything looks amazing. Jan is so thankful for Xander. <clears throat> but see, that's what the Lord's doing with us. Sometimes he has to plow us up. So, you know, oftentimes people come to me and they'll say, oh, man, you got to pray that I get out of this situation. And I'm thinking in my head, I don't know. Maybe that's the plowing that the Lord needs to do. Maybe that's the microwave off the wall that looks really ugly right now, but when you put it back, it's going to look pretty. Maybe that's what he's doing. I don't know. See, you're, 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 the, you're the field. Not only that, you're God's building. You're God's building. He's doing something. I, the point is, you're not really a building other than you're the temple, your body. The, the building's not the church. You're the church. But in a sense, you're a building, which means he's doing something. In another place, he says you're his poem. Here he says you're his field, you're his building, and he has to build with the right materials. And the first material is there has to be a foundation. And that's good. And Paul and us and we here at Calvary Chapel want to give you the right foundation. We want to build off the cornerstone. And we know from the other places in the Bible that what we want to teach you is Jesus Christ. All about Jesus, what he accomplished here. Not only what he accomplished here, but that he died and rose again. And what he's currently participating in at the right hand of the Father. What's his present ministry, see? That's advancing in milk, or from milk to meat. We want to do that, and we want to set that foundation so that we can help you build your life on Jesus Christ. Not on a pastor, not on cool stuff, not necessarily the building. But when you go and are getting built up, you're getting built up on Jesus. Your whole life is about him. See, when that happens, jealousies and slights and all those things start to leave. Now, you're God's field. You're God's building. Look at this. It's all according to the grace of God which was given to me, Paul says, as a wise master builder. Paul saw himself as the general contractor. Isn't that ironic that God has assigned me to be your general contractor? And I can't build anything. You're in trouble. But hopefully what I've been given is to help you build your life on Jesus and then you start feeding and building yourself. And so he gave Paul the master builder. That's what we're here about. We want to lay the foundation and then have others build on it. Here comes Xander. Here comes that Bible study that you're involved in. You know, down the street with the ladies and you're building. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. There's a way in which you should build. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, look at this, each one's work will become clear. If you're building with the right materials on the right foundation, it's going to be a work, watch, it's going to be a work that lasts into eternity. How do I know that? Because what he's referring to here is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which is called the Bema Seat Judgment. All of us are going to be judged. If you're a natural man, you're going to be judged on your own righteousness. You don't want that because your righteousness is not good enough. We'll also be judged in that way, but we have the righteousness of Christ given to us. But even those who are going to be judged in that way, and we will just depend upon Jesus' blood, so we have eternal life, but the Christian I'm talking about, the spiritual man I'm talking about, he also will be judged in another way. Did he build his life, did, did you in a good stewardship way build with the things that were eternal? And what are they? Well, many people see this right here. Uh, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, another reference to God's word, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work. You're not going to take into eternity any of the fluff that didn't matter. You get it? The kingdom of God is peace, love, joy, righteousness. 
It's not. Buildings and Instagram followers. Oh, yeah, yeah. And likes. And how many people watch our services? It's not that. It's what are we building? I'm the master contractor, so to speak. I'm the contractor just helping us build this thing. The Lord, of course, is the ultimate one. We're just building together our lives. And as healthy as each one of you are, the church becomes. You see it? And that's what God is interested in. You building with precious stones. Listen to what A.W., or excuse me, Alan Redpath says about as the Lord is the foundation. He says this in, in, in terms of uh, how we're building our lives. What kind of materials are we using? During the days just past, in the last week, have you put in some bricks? Have you put in the windows of prayer? Is there the gold of a pure testimony, the silver, the silver of a life that is radiant for the Lord Jesus, the precious stone of victory over temptation? Is there submission to the will of God in the time of suffering? Is there surrender to the cross, which we would not have taken of our own choosing? Is there progress along the master's choice, a forsaking of what seems to us more attractive? If we have chosen his will in our life, the building is going up to the glory of God with gold, silver, and precious stones. How little we pay attention to what's being built in our lives. We're more worried about jobs and bonuses and little white picket fences and this car and that tune-up and that 401k. And the Lord's saying, oh, you're missing it. Build with these precious materials. Look in verse 14. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. He's talking about crowns that we lay back at the Lord's feet. If anyone's work is burned, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so is through the fire. You get that? Some people are just going to skim, get into heaven, but have no crowns to lay at the Lord's feet. I'm convinced that's what it says. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? There's a truth about the Christian. The Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, that means corrupts, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? In other words, the trajectory of your life is that you're going to take care of the things that you bring in because you hold, house the Holy Spirit himself, the Shekinah glory. Wow. You see why it's such a tragedy to walk in a carnal way and not yield to the Spirit so that His life and love can just flow out to a world that is going to see you as foolish to begin with, but you'll be a witness to them through the Spirit. Well, finish with this. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age... What do they have to do? Well, they have to become a fool that they may become wise. He's, he's playing on the thoughts of the day. The world thinks he's a fool for laying down his life to Christ. He must or she must become that. Laying down your life for Christ and being raised to new life. Boy, that's foolish to the world, but that's what it takes for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the, you see how the... Wisdom of the world is crafty and manipulative. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. You could be the smartest PhD rocket scientist. You get to the end of your life. Listen, folks. It's great if you're a rocket scientist. Do it all for the glory of God. But the science of rockets when you die ain't going to matter. The science of knowing the statutes and the laws and being in court and debating and none of that's going to matter when you die. I'm a lawyer, by the way. But the point being, it is good, whatever you do, do is unto the Lord. If you're rocket science, do it unto the Lord. It'll last, all of that. But if you live your life without Christ, it was all futile. It was as if it was nothing. Therefore, let no one boast, verse 21, in men, 
for all things are yours. I want you to underline that in your heart or mind. If you're a Christian, everything's yours. Everything that Christ has is yours. You're rich. You're so rich you don't even know how rich you are. Everything that Christ has is yours. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apostles or Cephas or the world. Look at this. Watch this. What belongs to you? The whole world. You say, what? Turn over to Matthew 5 real quick. I just want you to see it with your own eyes, the astounding nature of this statement. Look at verse 3. As Jesus sat down on a mountain, disciples come to him, he opens his mouth, and he says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We have heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You'll have peace and comfort. Here it comes. Blessed are the meek, power under control. That's what meek means. For they shall inherit the earth. The whole world's yours. You say, what do you mean? Well, you're going to live with the Lord forever. This is what the Bible teaches. In the way in which you were meant to live with Christ. And the whole world will be yours in the new heavens and new earth. As him, of course, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You, everything is yours. The world or life. Jesus didn't come just so you could have any old life. He says it. That you would have life abundantly. Are you bored? Lethargic? Confused? Jesus says, I'll give you life. And not just any life, flowing out of you life. I'll give you the world. I'll give you life. You say, wait a minute, death is mine? Yeah, because Paul's going to write in this book, in 1 Corinthians 15, at the end of this book, Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus Christ overcame death, so you can too. Everything is yours. Or things present. Currently on earth, you have all the resources of the Holy Spirit or things to come in heaven forever when you've been there 10,000 years. Bright shining as the sun, you'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when you first begun. Forever with the Lord. And here it comes. All are yours. And you are Christ. And Christ is God. We all belong to Christ so in a sense, we sort of all belong to each other. How in the world could there be divisions? Hmm. Well, we're going to close with that. I promise you it's not because it's NFL Sunday. <clears throat> I got more to say about that, but I'll let, I'll let it go. <clears throat> But here's the point. If you're a natural man and you don't know you're going to heaven, well, you could know now. And here's how you'd know. You just surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You say, Lord, I'm a sinner. You agree with God. You ask the Lord to be the one that you're counting on all his finished work at the cross and resurrection for the death of the old life and a life of newness in him. All you do is you just ask. If that happens for you, if God's speaking to you about that, I want you to come up and talk to me after. I promise I won't bite. If you're a carnal Christian, I want you to see something. I didn't say this, but one of the marks of being mature is to be one who can live in the conflict. You have to enter in where the battle is being played and stand on the finished work of Christ. One, and all his promises, a great mark of the Christian is that you're always going to be in conflict. How do you like that one? You know, Lord, um, when I get the new job, 
and I get the new car, and I get the new house, and I get the new range, and I get the trip, you know, to the beach, I'm going to be happy. And the Lord's saying, you don't get it at all. You're in a battle. There's always going to be conflict. It's the person who lives with the peace that passes all the understanding because you have the have peace with God in the conflict that's the mature Christian that doesn't need to be spoon-fed. So, if you're a carnal Christian, come up. By the way, we all should probably run up because to varying degrees we are. But come up and let's pray together and pray for me. And we can pray that we would have submission to God's will entering into the battle by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a spirit-filled Christian, praise the Lord. And let's keep it that way. <laughs> let's pray. <laughs> well, Lord, thank you so much for this day and for all the blessings uh, that you've shown us. In Christ, everything is ours. Oh, my. May we walk out of here with newfound life that you've given us through your spirit. Once we've understood the word, we understand our position now. We're not paupers, whether we make $10 per year or $10 million per year. We're rich in Christ. Lord, help us to live this out in a world that is thinks we're fools for even considering it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.